Welcome to PE Talks Africa, the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association's podcast. In this series, industry leaders will share their views on the investment landscape in Africa and will discuss latest trends covering fundraising, deal-making, value creation and exits across private equity, credit and venture capital. In this episode, hear from Paul Boynton, Chief Executive Officer at All Mutual Alternative Investments, Paul Kokoricha, partner at African Capital Alliance, Skander Weslati, senior partner, CIO, and co-head of Sub-Saharan Africa at Africa Invest, and Luke Riguso, managing partner at Amethyst, as they explore the new investment opportunities within Africa's private investment space. The session, moderated by Helene Gussar, head of alternative investment services at Riskura, is part of AFCA's 2020 focus series, launched in June 2020. I'm the head of the um, Alternative Investment Services at Riskira. Today, we are talking about finding opportunities in, amid an economic crisis. Um, and we're very lucky to have some of the more, most experienced people in private equity industry in Africa with us. Firstly, Luke Ragoza, who is the uh, co-founder and managing partner at Amethyst. Uh, Paul Boynton, who is with Old Mutual um, Alternative Investments. And Paul Kokoricha, who is with African Capital Alliance and Skando Slati, who is with Afrique Invest. If you guys can maybe just introduce yourselves and your role in your organization and also how you guys are, uh, how you are part of the African private equity um, uh, landscape. Luke, can we start with you? Thank you very much, Helen. Uh, yeah, I'm, so I'm Luke Ibuzo. I'm a founder uh, in partnership with Laurent Demay and uh, the group at Mondo Rothschild of uh, Amethyst, who is a private equity uh, uh, GP uh, working only in the continent. Today we are running 700 million euro of assets under management, uh, mostly in three funds. One fund, fund one who is in divestment mode, fund two investment mode, and the last one which is a fund for North Africa for small caps, who is in fundraising mode. So I'm on the three, three side uh, of the NIE. Before that, I was the CEO for Parco, and I dedicated all my life to, to be in emerging countries. Thank you very much. If we can get it from you, if we can hear from you next. Okay, so thank you very much, Helen. My name is Paul Kokoricha. I'm a partner in African Capital Alliance. Um, I'm also the fund manager. Uh, a brief, um, you know, um, comment on African Capital Alliance. African Capital Alliance was founded in 1997. We raised our first fund in 1998. Um, since then, we've raised you know, four funds in the general private equity space. And we've also raised in a fund that's targeted at real estate. Currently, we're raising a second fund in the real estate uh, space. Cumulatively, we've raised funds of you know, over $1.2 billion. Our offices in Nigeria, and Ghana, and Mauritius. Uh, we've invested in over 35 portfolio companies in certain sectors, you know, including telecoms, technology, financial services, consumer, and oil and gas. Uh, we have portfolio company presence across you know, regions you know, in Africa. Um, our strategy is basically putting capital behind capital management teams in high growth sectors and companies. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Paul Boynton. Oh, thanks, uh, Helene. Um, 
Paul Boynton here from All Mutual Alternative Investments. We are a manager across uh, four different uh, business verticals, I guess. We have circa $4 billion uh, under management across the four, the largest of which is uh, infrastructure management under African Infrastructure Investment Managers, which is a Pan-African uh, infrastructure manager. Um, we also have a private equity uh, franchise focused on Southern Africa, uh, which is focused on sort of growth capital and buyout. Um, we have an impact team, which is also focused on Southern Africa, although we are looking to expand uh, into the rest of Africa. And in that impact space, we have three different funds at the moment. One is uh, affordable housing. We also have an affordable education fund and we have a retirement accommodation fund. And then lastly, we have a fund of fund program, which uh, is invested across Africa uh, and also has a global program. Thanks, Celine. Thank you. Um, Skander, and last but not least. Thank you. Thank you, Helen. Uh, so my name is Skander Ruslati. I'm a senior partner with um, Africa Invest and uh, CIO and co-head of our um, Sub-Saharan Africa operations. So uh, Africa Invest has been around for over uh, 25 years in the African private equity space. Um, over the years, we've made uh, over 160 um, investments in the continent, uh, over 90 exits. Uh, and um, uh, cumulatively, we have uh, raised so far $1.7 billion. Um, uh, uh, dollars. Um, and uh, we're currently uh, deploying um, funds uh, in a number of, uh, under a number of strategies. We have our uh, flagship and Africa fund, Africa Invest Fund 4, uh, that is currently being deployed. Um, we have a North Africa fund. Uh, we have a cross-border French Africa fund, as well as uh, two uh, sector-specific funds, one of them dedicated to the financial services industry, and the other one is an innovation fund. And obviously, we have also a, a private credit um, vehicle uh, that is um, managed by Africans. Thank you. So um, when we talk about an economic crisis, you know, we, we all know that there is sort of the immediate crisis effect, which been, has been quite acute with the COVID-19 pandemic because the entire event happened over such a small small period of time. Um, and, and then there would be medium and longer term impacts. And I, I want to speak about the medium and longer term impacts a bit later, but I want to start by just talking about the short term impact. And in terms of what you guys have been observing in, in your portfolios and how it has been affecting uh, the ability to transact and, the, you know, is there a lot of uncertainty around pricing and uh, even outside of that, how is it affecting the process and how, what are you guys actually uh, experiencing on the ground? Um, Skander, if I can start with you again um, in the reverse order. Sure. So, um, um, obviously, uh, we've been through uh, unprecedented um, times, if I, if I may say, during this uh, COVID crisis. Um, thankfully, things are, are, are improving in most of the geographies in Africa. Um, what, what we've seen uh, across the board, I mean, be it uh, from a fundraising point of view or a deployment or, uh, or even portfolio management or exits is uh, uh, unprecedented challenges um, on, the, on the fundraising. Uh, this is uh, a very challenging time for us to, to, to fundraise. I mean, thankfully, uh, we've been able to reach first close on our uh, flagship fund uh, in this environment, um, but uh, even on, uh, um, on 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 the origination front, uh, we are also uh, blessed by the fact that uh, we have a, 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 a strong presence on the ground with our eight offices in Africa, 
uh, this allowed us to continue to be active and um, and uh, we're not at the mercy of uh, of uh, the skies reopening because we have teams on the ground um, that uh, in the different geographies uh, that uh, can um, allow us actually to continue the discussion with the different uh, opportunities that we have on the ground, um, albeit um, we had to adjust uh, our uh, deal making, our way of making deals um, to the current environment and um, uh, because nobody knows uh, what the impact, the final impact of this crisis will be uh, on um, uh, the pipeline companies that we're considering. On the portfolio management uh, front, it's been extremely challenging. Um, we've been, I think, all of us through the cycles. Uh, the first thing for an entrepreneur is denial, uh, but uh, after that they realize, and then um, uh, we work together on the adjustment. And uh, we're post uh, these three phases now, so uh, we're, uh, we've adjusted um, the, 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 the business plan and, um, and uh, the way uh, our um, um, investees operate. Um, and uh, and uh, we're, we're keeping a very close, uh, in very close touch with them to help them uh, weather this crisis. And on the exit, I think we're all uh, witnessing um, uh, a slowdown in the exit uh, pace, um, and uh, this will imp uh, impact us uh, all of us uh, across the industry. Um, and uh, so uh, we expect at least a, a six to twelve month uh, delay on all uh, the exit plans that we have across the different strategies within African West. Thank you. Uh, Paul Kukuricha, if I can ask you as well, how are you guys uh, finding um, Skander was talking about how the, uh, you know, how you needed to change process um, for, for acquisitions and deal making, and maybe if you can highlight for us also how that worked for you. That would be brilliant. Thank you. Okay, so uh, thank you very much, Helen. Um, so let me start on the deal making side, right? So. I like to give so a historical you know, perspective. Uh, if you consider the crisis in 2009, the crisis in 2009 saw you know a 50% decline in deals you know transacted, uh, uh, particularly in value, and it witnessed you know um, a turnaround over a period of time. And then the more recent one, 2015, um, 2015 saw. You know, deals that were closed, you know, declined in terms of value by 69%. Uh, and all these uh, stats, right? And these stats are basically, you know, after stats, right? Uh, so it declined, you know, to, uh, in, from 2014 to 2015, 2.5 billion, but then quickly sort of um, recovered in 2016 to 4, point, to 4 billion, and then 2017 to, 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 to to 4.2 billion. The reason why I'm putting this in perspective is that you know we don't expect that um, the pattern will be you know different, right? Um, um, if crisis in the past you know um, led to a decline in value, particularly in the short term, right, of deals that are done, we expect that this will be so. Even though uh, there are certain differences between this crisis you know, and the previous one, so for us we are finding it you know so um, in our markets you know where we operate. Um, and we're finding so for a number of reasons. One is, I'll say, difficult to bridge, you know, valuation gap you know, between sellers you know, and buyers. Uh, um, as Kander said, right, you know, typically, you know, for sellers, there'll be a moment of, you know, some moment of denial um, until uh, things then settle down very well. And now for buyers, right, um, there's a level of um, maybe, you know, healthy skepticism, particularly around, 
you know, how much of um, the impact of COVID, you know, has been built in, you know, into, into the valuation. So that gap we sort of um, cause um, a slowdown, you know, in um, capital sort of completing this and the capital deployment. The second reason would be for sellers, you know, to then decide, you know what, I can hold on a little bit longer and repeat value, you know, to the level that um, I'm expecting, you know, before I, I start the process of or the sale process. And then the third reason is just because of the restrictions that you have, you know, um, you know, um, CM, you know globally. Uh, and for us, uh, for example, uh, I know that we launched uh, about three processes, you know, pre-COVID. You know, I can tell you that those processes were sort of, you know, slowed down, right? Uh, and also participating in, in, a, in a process, right? So no more than one process, right? That's also slowed down. Even the proprietary sort of discussions, you know, um, you know, have slowed down. So in the in the short term, I expect a slowdown. And and similarly, you know, for fundraisers as well, you know, for reasons, you know, I highlighted by scandal, um, and for similar reasons. Um, and, this largest thing for exit as well. In terms of monitoring, in terms of portfolio um, valuation, just giving you know the unprecedented you know impact right on on on, on business operations. Um, some of those um, some portfolio companies have come you know under stress. Uh, so we've uh, actually been working very actively with our portfolio companies you know to. You know, to recalibrate, you know, to, to intervene, you know, and to um to as much as possible support so that you know um, valuation value is preserved in popular companies. Thanks, Ellen. Uh, thank you very much. Luke, <laughs> if I could address the same question to you as well. Thank you. Thank you, Ellen. Yeah, um, much has been already said by Scrander and Paul. I think that uh, at short term, the first thing we see today, uh, of course, is uncertainty on, on each side. And I think a, a gap perception. And each time that you have a gap perception in the market between the buyers and the seller, then the market is frozen. You can have that in real estate, you can have that in PIN, or any class of asset. And one of the reasons why you see this gap today, unfortunately, because there is a gap also, between the reality of the COVID crisis in Africa and or in the world, by the way, there is not an African specificity here. And, um, and the economical impact of the political decision, which is much bigger than the real impact. And this gap is even bigger in Africa than in the rest of the world. Just to remind to everybody, uh, poor country, uh, Nigeria, the biggest country of Africa, 170 million people. Uh, Paul, correct me, but the last number of the death of COVID is like 700 or 800. So the total death since the beginning, is, at this stage, of course, it's not finished, of COVID in Nigeria is about two, three hours of France at the mid part of the crisis. And still there, you have a lot of measures. So this is the case all over Africa. And this impact at short term, all the company, and so most of the company who are in manufacturing in B2B, in B2C, and we have to deal with exchanges, selling to. So, so that's, that's the first thing. Uh, so each time we value today uh, companies that are the more exposed, they will be the one who will, at short term, suffer the highest gap in valuation and the less capacity to be sold. On the other side, and that's a paradox, the companies who are perceived and seen as benefiting from the crisis 
and there is a few companies who are benefiting from the crisis, might, on the contrary, continue to expect high valuation, which could be deserved, by the way, but not finding people ready to pay this high valuation, and then you froze also the markets so on both sides. Uh, whatever the differentiation of the market, you will see a more lengthy uh, transaction. Uh, the second thing, of course, is that all of us have uh, a strong gov governance. Some of us have governance with people who are really uh, knowing very well Africa, but some of the investors in Africa are also in their ICs, people who are very good investors, but who are less exposed to the continent. Uh, it's not necessarily the case of the three members of the panel today, but I see I had, I had, I had experiences uh, in the last three months of generalist investors ready to buy in Africa who are totally withdrawing the, the continent because they, they just don't know what will, what will, what will happen. So on the, on the capacity to buy, you need also somebody to sell. So there is still some traction. We continue to see a lot, the pipe is continue to grow because these are the type of things you can do to, to resume, to exchange. All of us are part in, of various ecosystems who continue to feed us with possible deals. Where I'm more, to be honest, frightened today is that uh, the easy part of a transaction is when you say, is when you send a, 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 a letter of intent or even a term sheet. But we are not doing a business where you do deals through video conferences. It's a business where the most important thing is not finance. It's entrepreneurial spirit, share of vision, affectio societatis. And we all know that to, to, to build that, and especially at the last moment of the negotiation of an entry, especially in family-owned businesses, you need physical contact, you need exchange, you need to share, uh, not just numbers. And of course, with the, the current crisis, so we have offices on the ground too, huh? uh, like Paul and Skander, uh, we have an office in Abidjan, in Casablanca, in Nairobi, but still, even for our colleagues, they continue to see the company, to meet them. It's not the same. The fact of being part of the team who cannot join is difficult. So I really hope for all of us that, and even more given what I said at the beginning, that in reality, from the health point of view, and for a very basic reason, there is less than 3% of the African people who are above 65 years old. So thanks to God, Africa will never be touched as country, like my country, where you have 22% of the people above 65. These are just uh, uh, clear realities. So I really hope that the African sky will reopen as soon as possible, because it's a continent which has uh, the paradox of uh, being at the same time a little bit landlocked, usually, even before uh, the crisis. And then at the same time, most of the business people, depending a lot of exchanges between countries, between North and South. Uh, but clearly, to summarize, it's sure that at short term, and then of course we could speak after that, that the, the long term and the various sector and geographies will be the more affected. But at short term, uh, I agree with the Skander and Paul, it will lengthen the deals, both at exit and at, and, and at entry, and uh, it will uh, not simplify the discussion on values, that's obvious, for at least a few months. Thank you. Uh, Paul Boynton, um, if you, a similar question is how are you, um, how, what are you actually experiencing in the short term? And then if I can also set you up for the next question, which is 
if we look at it in the medium and the longer term, you know, we've had this growing trend in African private equity where financial buyers are, are the exit opportunity for a lot of PE funds, which means that there, if there's any delay in fundraising, that also has a, 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 an impact again on the ability to exit for, for other parties um, and whether you think that will be significant at all. Um, and uh, uh, the, the GP survey that AFCA did, which is a lovely GP survey where they spoke to a number of parties, showed that most people seem to think that there would be significant delays um, um, in fundraising. So keeping in mind that, we, that it seems like there will be a delay in fundraising and that we do have this landscape where there is, uh, in essence, PE firms buying from PE firms in terms of exit. Um, but we are also aware of the fact that there's been significant QE and on, on the previous round of QE, we did see that some of that eventually spilled over into capital being allocated to African private equity. So even though we might have some short term risk off issues, you know, there is also the other trend, which is we may in the longer term be, uh, be the net winners um, in terms of QE. So sorry, that's quite a bit to dump on you, but then if we can think about the short term and just the impact, and then maybe in a slightly longer term, what's your thoughts on? Yeah, okay. I mean, maybe just quickly on QE, I think you're absolutely right. Our view, for instance, on QE is that this, uh, uh, this um, uh, uh, cash being made available will eventually find its way into Africa. So for instance, we're bullish on the RAND medium term. The RAND has taken a big crack. We believe that actually, uh, as happened with the financial crisis, that uh, you know emerging market currencies and the rand in particular will recover as a result of of you know of, of, of the flowdown of QE ultimately. So so that is a data point. I mean I think the other thing to us is, I mean it is an uncertain environment, so it's difficult to predict things forward. But you know we have seen in Europe, uh, you know things you know, do come back quite strongly. I know in South Africa where, um, you know, retail has opened up over the last months to six weeks, we've seen quite a strong rebound uh, in retail sales. So there was a big worry that that might not be there. Um, certainly Africa doesn't have, it has a number of advantages. Lucas obviously identified the demographic advantage, but one of the disadvantages for Africa is the fiscal capacity of government to support businesses and, and in particular people through 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 this difficult period. So, you know, there's no way that African governments are going to be able to put people on reasonably high packages on an 80% uh, package while they're furloughed. You know, that's not going to happen here. So the consumer check going forward is likely constrained. So, um, I mean, in the short term, what we focused on is the health issues, uh, getting businesses fit for purpose in terms of uh, you know, managing the COVID pandemic within their environment, uh, managing the, uh, you know, then so, sort of secondly, we focused on fiscal sustainability of the business. So, you know, you've got to have a, a cost base in line with, you know, what, what your envir environment forward is. So for many businesses, that's entailed some, 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 some cost cutting. Uh, uh, for some businesses, as Luke's identified, they, you know, they stand to benefit from this environment. We've seen that in our portfolio as well, where, you know, some businesses are actually, uh, you know, well positioned for what's going on here. And then lastly, I think, you know, the very important piece, which is a piece that we're focused on quite uh, a lot at the moment is what does the future look like? And this is an uncertain uh, situation. So the future is not easy to, to predict. But, you know, clearly, um, some of the questions that are out there, you know, what, what is 
what is uh, you know what, what's the future for for you know office uh, uh, for, for, you know for, for retail property uh, for commercial property in the office space um, but what what does people's working situations look like going forward um, these are all things that can potentially impact um, portfolio companies in different ways uh, and you need to be thoughtful about this and to the extent that you can form views on this. This can, you know, inflection points in life. If you can work out what the future looks like before others are, are a profound opportunity. So that's another piece of what we are kind of uh, focused on a little bit at the moment. I think the other thing is that, um, you know, what this uh, kind of event does show is the benefits of diversification. If we look at our own portfolio, we've taken some pressure in some of the private equity exposures we have. For instance, we're involved in a cinema group in South Africa, which as you can imagine, is under some pressure. But at the same time, we also have assets that are benefiting, like uh, we have a business involved in making ready-made uh, uh, meals, you know, uh, uh, available through, through, through grocery retail. That business has kind of, you know, jumped on this. We have businesses involved in the, in the, in the e-commerce space, which have also benefited through this environment. And if you look at our infrastructure portfolio, for instance, many of the assets there are, you know, they're, they're regulated, their tariff is, is protected through this kind of environment. So they've, they've done very well relative through, through, this, through this space. So I think, uh, you know, the benefits of diversification have proved out uh, through, this, uh, through this piece. So, Eileen, maybe I've kind of covered off sufficiently on those, those issues. <laughs> no, no, thank you very much, Paul. Um, Skanda, maybe to pick up from there, um, we were talking about how the world is changing, and there is a couple of, of, of trends which seem to be um, some of the trends that are getting highlighted. It's, it's um, about e-learning, about telemedicine, about online retail, um, and about work from home, you know, all of which has impacts on some winners and losers in terms of businesses. Um, I was wondering um, if for you guys, when you look forward, I mean, all of these, as we know, Africa's got different demographics. It's got a slightly different makeup in terms of, of um, a, a consumer uh, income. So there is a, a certain amount of thought that needs to go into how does this feed into our lives and into our ecosystem? Um, and I'm wondering from your guys' point of view, how are you seeing this kind of, um, going forward? Which of these do you think are here to stay and which do you think is, is exploitable opportunities? Oh, I think Scanner might have dropped off. No, so, no. Oh, are you there? There you are. Wonderful. No, there I'm you here. Are. I'm here. Um, uh, so I, I, I wanted to say that um, it's interesting to 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 highlight the fact that we experience actually firsthand the transformation of um, a school that we have in our portfolio from being, um, you know, face-to-face um, uh, -face teaching into e-learning, and we had to adjust the business model. Literally in two weeks, it was it was a nightmare, but we did it. And um, there was a lot of resistance. And what we did is we tracked the uptake of uh, e-learning uh, week after week. And the initial week was a disaster, and we were all uh, depressed because uh, the parents uh, were not really excited about e-learning and uh, the, the, the the students either. And, uh, and but over the weeks, we noticed an uptake of e-learning and uh, uh, after uh, actually the, the fourth week, we went up to 96% um, uh, connection. And here we're talking about a, a group of schools that has 1,300 uh, students. However, the issue we have been facing is the willingness to pay 
for um, uh, for uh, for for the fees for distance learning. And it's been a challenge because um, for, for the school, we've made an investment. I mean, obviously, we have an investment in brick and mortars, but that's one thing. But we have made a very heavy investment in the digital learning platforms and um, digitalizing the content and everything in a, in, in, a, in a very short period of time. And the difficulty we're having is um, uh, for the parents and the, the, the students to value the, 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 that content. It, it's, it, it's amazing. Um, and we had a lot of resistance from parents to pay tuition fees, even though that we reduced those tuition fees. So um, going forward, uh, absolutely. I mean, e-learning, um, telemedicine, work from home will be uh, part of the new, new norm. But I, I wouldn't see a 100% shift in my view. Uh, there would be a mix. Um, because uh, the difficulty with um, not being present in person is you lose the human touch. And uh, um, actually, uh, uh, one of the other panelists actually touched on uh, the difficulty in, I think it was Luke, uh, the difficulty in, in, in negotiating the final mile uh, of a deal um, over, uh, over Zoom. It's very difficult. Um, we had also um, a lot of tension in board meetings because it's not the same thing when you attend the board meeting, usually you have uh, lunch before or dinner after, you have the time to socialize. And with this new um, uh, uh, setup of, of doing business, you lose that um, uh, personal feel and touch with your partners, with your potential investees, with your potential partners. And that, uh, that um, uh, and it takes time to adjust. I'm not, uh, so to the, the, the long, um, the short answer is that um, yes, there will be a shift, but I don't believe in 100% digital. I think uh, the human touch will remain, and there needs to be a minimum amount of human touch um, uh, for the relationship to grow. And because our business is based on chemistry, on relationship, uh, and on proximity, and so uh, uh, there will be a mix of the two rather than 100% um, uh, di distance learning or or meetings. Thank you. And picking up on the work from home uh, um, theme, uh, Paul Kukaricha, I know that you guys have a large exposure and you have a large portfolio of real estate. Um, and I know that there is quite a bit of thinking about how even city structures and the way in which cities are put together would be changed um, by a lot of work from home or a, a different balance between work from home and, and work in the office. Um, how are you guys seeing this playing out in Africa? Do you think it is its material? Um, and, and how are you trying to prepare for that within your portfolio? So uh, thanks, you know, Helen. Um, I think the points you made earlier, they're very important. The points around, you know, um, you know some of these trends, right, that um, have been, um, I'll say, unleashed on the world, right, you know, by COVID, right? Um, they are important in the sense that, you know, they're likely to then, um, almost, you know, you know, leads to some changes that are likely to be, you know, sort of cemented, right? Um, and that we we'll have to live with, right? So, so the key, you know, in our perspective, is um, this adaptation, right? Uh, it's adaptation. Um, so, for us, you know, particularly, you know, from a, from a real estate portfolio perspective, is to then, you know, step back and 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 ask yourself, right? Um, what would you have to rebalance in the portfolio in order to, you know, take advantage of the new norm? For example, 
I mean, the hospitality business, you know, has been, you know, significantly, um, you know, affected, right? You know, in a negative way. Um, um, I'll say that, you know, to a large extent, right? You know, some, you know, businesses, you know, that, you know, like leisure and all of that, you know, um, affected. And all those have knock-on effect on real estate. So, so from our perspective, the balancing in such a way that you take advantage of, you know, what is likely to uh, come out as the emerging trend. So I think Luke mentioned, you know, this demographic sort of, um, um, as an advantage that, you know, Africa has, you know, including Nigeria, right? The fact that you have, number one, a rapidly growing, you know, population. Number two, you have a rapidly urbanizing, you know, um, you know, population. What that means, therefore, is that if you then, you know, um, screen your portfolio, right, that to take advantage of those trends, which will not leave in any moment, uh, they're not going to leave soon, um, then you're likely to then be riding, you know, the, um, the, the, the riding, you know, I'll say the benefits you know, of what, um, you know, COVID-19 is, um, is doing. So for us, for positioning, you know, in that respect. The second way that we're trying to also reposition, you know, real estate, is so reposition real estate in such a way that you're then, um, you know, having, um, you know, investors um, enjoy in a portfolio that has ongoing, you know, um, you know, income, right? So, so you're not waiting, you know, to um, for a long time, you know, to build, develop, you know, look for tenants, you know, office spaces, office spaces, you know, hospitality, hospitality, and all of that. You're then looking for in a portfolio that has that is skewed towards these trends I just mentioned, and um, you know. Um, has um, the future of, pro of providing ongoing liquidity to the investors. So those are the areas we're actually looking at. In fact, the new, um, I'll say the new, um, the, uh, I told you at the beginning that we're raising from two. The, so the from two that we're currently in the process of raising is skewed towards solving these particular problems in you know, real estate. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And, and from your point of view, what have you guys found out? Was there any um, unexpected winners and losers? It was interesting to hear Paul Boynton speaking about in their uh, portfolio, there were certain things that they thought was, um, that I, for instance, may not have thought would have been a winner in this particular situation, but ended up being. Uh, being. So how did it work out on your side? Um, sorry, is that to me, Helene? To Paul? No, sorry. No, sorry, it's to Luke. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Ellen. Uh, okay, so if you try to summarize uh, what the winners and losers, uh, short and, and midterm, I would say we should segment the, 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 the reflection first of all geographically, sectorially, and by type of companies. Geographically, what is very clear is that this crisis will even more uh, increase the gap between the, the countries that are diversified economy. Not, depend, not depending too much on raw material and commodities, and the, and the other ones who are very much dependent on commodities. Unfortunately, because this crisis came also with the reduction of the oil price, the case, for example, for Nigeria. Uh, and, and so, the, the, basically, if you look at the continent, you see that you have a few very big countries, the biggest one, by the way, which is logical, it's the same in the other continents, while those who are more exposed to um, the mainstream and, uh, and, and the global shocks and who have the currencies who are the more fluctuating, it's the case of South Africa, Nigeria, Egypt, for example, 
And then you have small countries, very much depending on commodities, oil, Central Africa. Uh, and then you have all the other countries, mid-size, uh, Kenya, Agri-Coast, uh, Morocco, uh, which is already very well developed, etc. So clearly, this crisis uh, reinforce, and you can see it by the numbers. If you look at the, the last IMF numbers, you will see that the countries who are economically relatively less affected are the diversified economies. The second thing is, of course, we already, already have that. Paul described it and the two Paul and Scandera are the sectors. Uh, clearly, the FMCG sector, the health sector, the technology sector are going to be the winners, uh, at least at short term. And at short term, so far, others will suffer, like hospitality, obviously. Uh, all the sectors, depending on, on exchanges, tourism, uh, the oil sector, the, the, the aeronautic sector, etc. Um, and last but not least, uh, across sectors and geographies, uh, the financial structure of the companies will be also uh, uh, a differentiating factor. Uh, cash is king today, and uh, those who are aware are very indebted before the crisis uh, are going to be more fragile, obviously, than those who had the more uh, healthy financial structure. It's even the case, for example, for a country, for a uh, uh, sectors like the hospitality sector. In the hospitality sector, you see that, for example, in Europe, uh, the hotels where cash, cow machine with no debts, they're closing the shops for a few months, waiting the, the sky to reopen, and they will lose a few months of profit and activity, but their value at 18 months will come back to what it was. So it will be the same for Africa. Some of, some of, the, some of the hospitality sector who are very indebted will suffer a lot. Those who were the less indebted, well. So in a nutshell, to, 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 to simplify, I would say that globally on new deals, because the subject of, to, of today is uh, how are we going to position ourselves in new transactions, in new deals, uh, I see more differentiation than in the past. Meaning that uh, companies, unfortunately, companies were uh, who are uh, more on the, not loser is not the proper word, but the companies who are the more, who are the more fragile and the more affected by the crisis will probably see lengthier transaction and reduction of multiples. Uh, the paradox could be that companies who are in the good geographies with strong financial structure and in the good sectors could, on the contrary, keep good multiples and have potentially uh, higher values. So compared to two years ago, you will see a, a, a landscape uh, with much higher, with a growth curve, uh, to speak mathematically, much broader in terms of multiple than it was in the past, normally, logically. Uh, thanks for that. Picking up on that, Skander, if I can ask um, uh, Luke to speak a bit about the, the, the fiscal relief and fiscal um, um, and companies and the supply of companies. So one of the things which I find interesting is if one looks at the different actions from the developing markets and their governments, they are putting a lot of effort into uh, to, to providing fiscal relief or providing support for SMEs and for companies to try and help them through the crisis. 
um, because most of those businesses are viable and should in, in the end, you know, they're large employers within within the economy. And and obviously, once the crisis is passed, as Luke's pointed out quite well, and um, they still have value and they are companies which you know could happily go on. Um, the problem, obviously, the, within the African economies, there's not that much fiscal space. Um, and so we might find that that particular level of safety net and support for SMEs and businesses in that band may not be quite as extensive. Um, and we, we have known in the past as well that, that the, the supply of investable businesses in Africa is maybe not as large as we want it to be because you need for businesses to be of a certain size to be investable. And considering that they might well then be, as part of this crisis, some companies which do not necessarily survive this crisis. So there might be a thinning of the amount of companies available as investment opportunities. Are you at all worried sort of in the medium term around um, being able to find investable opportunities 18 months from now, 24 months from now? I mean, uh, to the contrary, I think that um uh, there will be um, opportunities um, for, um, uh, for for all PE investors um, towards uh, better opportunities actually towards the end of this year and uh, early next year. Um, uh, there are uh, a number of uh, solid companies that um, uh, suffered actually during this crisis um, uh, because of uh, lack of demand. Um, I mean, uh, uh, some examples were mentioned in the in the hospitality sector, for example. But um, uh, but the hospitality sector is specific because it's going to take a longer time for it to recover. But um, uh, you're absolutely right in the sense that um, if I, I mean I'm, I'm jealous when I see uh, all the um, the support that uh, the French government have given to uh, French SMEs, which is which is great. I mean uh, during this crisis. It's very difficult for African countries to match that level of support, um, and uh, they're doing what they can. Uh, I can cite the example of Kenya that uh, put in place a number of measures to to uh, reduce taxation and um, give some tax stimulus. But um, uh, they, they, I mean, uh, we as Africans don't have the means actually to 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 um, to pump money into uh, the economies. Uh, as much as uh, Europe has been able to do, and that's uh, that's a problem, um, and uh, and that actually that uh, strengthens uh, the thesis the thesis actually that there will be uh, opportunities um, uh, for for investors uh, to invest in very good companies that were uh, hit by the crisis because of a slump in demand, and uh, that will allow um, uh, investors to uh, negotiate reasonable terms. And, uh, and provide these um, companies that have been solid over the past uh, number of years uh, to um, to strengthen their capital base and uh, emerge from the crisis even stronger. Because if they survive this, this crisis, it means that they've had um, a solid business plan in the first place. Like uh, Luke mentioned, I mean, if you're over leveraged, then you may not survive. But if you you've been well managed. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll survive this crisis. And so it's up to us to identify those companies, those winners that um, will emerge stronger from this crisis. And our role would be to provide them with the means to, uh, to, uh, to, to grow even faster after this crisis. 
Thank you very much. I always, that's what I love about um, asset managers. There's always an upside to it, which is true. Um, and so, Paul, maybe <laughs> highlighting that upside is a good point. There's, um, you know, without these massive support programs for SMEs, what, what there is is really good businesses that might just need cash right now. Um, but we know that the private equity structure is not really set up that way in, in order to, to be able to dispense cash immediately, um, you know, outside of what was already programmed. So is that something you guys are looking at? Is there a way in which one can work with that and create some liquidity so that you can take you can take the opportunity as it comes past? Sorry, Paul Boynton, that's for you. Uh, sorry, sorry, Helene. Yeah, I know. Look, I think that's right, Helene. Uh, I think. Uh, look, I support uh, Skanda's view that that um, you know uh, capital constrained companies are going to be looking to to capital providers to solve to solve that problem, and they they, they are nevertheless good businesses. Uh, I do think that you know the mezzanine debt tranche or a hybrid equity solution might be easier to get capital away with at this point in time than than, than pure equity, perhaps. Um, and 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 so there's an opportunity for that for that type of capital maybe out out, out of a private equity fund or out of a dedicated sort of mes capital fund. Um, so I think you know this environment does does create opportunity, and the fact that the government is not stepping in to solve many of the problems, I think you know uh, if you look at uh, Berkshire Hathaway in the financial crisis, stepped in and made a number of investments because you know a huge pot of capital was available to solve problems for companies that were you know solid franchises but had liquidity problems. This time around, Berkshire has been able to put away very little money because government has done that. It stepped in in the U.S. and just put money in wherever, wherever you know they pushed money in in a lot of places, in hoping that it'll kind of help help solve problems. And that's not happening in in Africa, uh, certainly to the extent it is over there. Um, I mean, I think the longer term issue in Africa is to what extent has final demand been impacted? So if people have been laid off and they no longer have a job and they're not buying something, they're not buying clothing or what, you know, so that we're not sure about that. And that's really the, the thing that, that African governments need to be focused on. How do we minimize that sort of collateral damage through this process as much as possible uh, with the means that we have available so that the future is, is, is more robust than it otherwise would be. I think that, 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 that is the, 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 the conundrum. How do we how do we best achieve that? But I agree. This is a this is an environment replete with opportunity because of the issues Skanda has identified. Luke, then uh, maybe just talking about those opportunities that are out there, um, and then maybe your view on on what was saying about uh, you know that there is the, the eventual issue is what it, what is the, the recovery going to look like? Um, you know. You see opportunities out there, and where are you guys finding the liquidity to invest in those opportunities? Um, and then, how do you see the final recovery uh, playing out? And is there any of the geographies that you favour for their response um, at the moment? Thank you very much, Julian. Yeah, um, the first thing I would like to say is that I agree with the Poland's point on the fact that if you look globally after each crisis. Uh, vintages have been very good vintages. If you look at the vintages in Europe after the 2008-2009 crisis, for whatever the reason, not necessarily a reduction of price, but easiness to conclude deal, more openness of the, each party to negotiate something, 
the vintages of funds have invested in uh, well, in Europe and in the US. These are LBO funds, which is and this was also a period where debt was very cheap. Uh, most of the funds in Africa are not so much leveraged, so we should be cautious. But definitely, I agree that uh, 2021 for those of us who have dry powder should be a very good year. Uh, and I'm saying 2021 because uh, the time, once again, it's not just a business of finance, so it's a business of human being. So the time for this human being to meet again, negotiate again, is going to take a few months. So deals will be concluded probably. Most of the deal will benefit from uh, this vintage effect will be deal concluded in the second half of 2021. Um, that's for the global view. Now, once again, geographically, I think countries, uh, one of the answers to Paul's question regarding uh, the, the growth potential of consumption in Africa, once again, uh, let's keep, let's, I, I'm probably one of, one of the speakers who always say there is not African specificity because I think that uh, Africa is very often a continent of prejudices and, 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 and reality is the same development pattern anywhere. But on this crisis, I'm saying there is an African specificity for the first time. <laughs> so I will I will stick to that. Once again, just three percent of the people are above 65. This is a number that should be repeated, repeated, repeated. Uh, so if you look at the numbers, COVID will not kill a lot of people. First thing, second thing, uh, it's a continent where 70%, this is the answer to Paul, 70% of the people very often are in the informal sector, which by the way, in our industry makes very difficult to have good statistics and other reality. So there was a big shock in April, May, June, we see, I don't know for my colleagues, but in a lot of the companies of the portfolio now, except, for example, hospitality in Mauritius, the island is closed, but in Kenya, in Ivory Coast, we see good July month, we see good June month, end of June, correct. So we're seeing a beginning of the time that in the consumer sector, people are continuing to consume. Um, so to project myself to answer your question, even for the, for the future, I don't want to be over pessimistic. I, I, I must admit that, like most of us, I still, I'm still a little bit lost and confused by the gap between the severity of the macro measure taken all over the world compared to the health risk. That's my position. Um, so, if we continue in this kind of irrational, uh, relatively irrational position, you can have uh, again a uh, small resurgence of COVID in October. Again, uh, all over the world, people uh, afraid, and again, uh, airport closed, etc. That's not my scenario. My scenario, and I need to be extremely humble, obviously, is that people will understand that whatever the evolution of this disease, we have to live with it. We have to protect our elders. We have uh, to make sure that they are confined, that uh, we have to make all what we're beginning to do now in France, everybody has masks, etc. But with that, with that, normally you should go to your activities and the world should continue to work. It will probably take a few months, but uh, specific, specifically for Africa, uh, it will work. And I'm sure that uh, I hope that in 2021, in most of the sector, uh, we will have enough visibility and clarity. I'm not saying that everything will reborn, but we will have a vision clear enough to allow transaction 
and do a lot of things to go back to in our in our industry to go back to where there was with both parties having a clear view of the value of a company and how we can best help them. And the winners will remain, once again, I already said it, vertically diversified economy, sectorially, technology, FMCG, health, all the sectors that are benefiting from that. And, uh, and as kind of said, there would be very good companies that would hope would be open to equity, uh, either because they have been fragilized by the crisis, but more importantly also because there would be consolidation. Africa is a very fragmented continent, and the consolidation process in most of the industry is not bad. And the winners, the best companies, will need also money to make a position and to, to, to allow this consolidation process. Thank so you. I'm, uh, I'm relatively, uh, relatively, I would say, uh, optimistic on the fact that the world will go back uh, in, in, in a few months. I hope I'm not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. optimistic. <laughs> yeah. um, I think if we can just give uh, Paul Kukaric a chance as well, maybe just to wrap up his thoughts. Um, uh, so, just uh, what what, you, what is the the risk that really worries you still in, in, in the situation, and where do you guys see the opportunity going forward? So, uh, thanks, you know, Helen. So, to a large extent, um, I, I agree with um, Paul Pointing and, and Luke. Um, um, our sense is that uh, just, um, you know, looking ahead, right, and again, based on history, you know, things will pick up, right? Um, certainly, you know, things will have to, you know, uh, companies will adapt, uh, management teams, you know, will adapt, um, countries will adapt. Um, I also agree with them, and I also agree with you, that in terms of uh, government's capacity, particularly in Africa, to intervene, sufficiently to deal with the crisis, you know, from a financial perspective, is highly limited. So based on all the, you know, these challenges, right, limited ability of government to intervene, um, the operational uh, challenges that businesses, you know, have gone through, have gone through um, I say even funds, some funds are in a position where they have to uh, sell, right, or wind down the fund and all of that. So we then see, um, or we, we think, that opportunities will, uh, will emerge you know, as we you know, uh, round up 2020 and go into 2021. Well, we have to be cautious. Uh, the reason why I say we have to be cautious is that as we go into 2021 and as we look at you know, opportunities um, you know, as, as fund managers, we should then be looking at those opportunities you know, from lessons that you know, this um, pandemic you know, has um, you know, Impose upon us. So, be looking at opportunities that have management teams. Management teams that have, you know, so we seem to have lost Paul there. There's been quite a bit of technical issues, but luckily we all. So, my motto is just. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you very much to everyone, and I'll, I'll we'll uh, catch up with Paul. Ah, oh, Paul, you are having some connection problems, so we're just wrapping up from there. Thank you very much, everyone, and thank you everyone uh, for participating and what was a really interesting discussion. And it was lovely to hear everybody's perspective from right across the continent. 
thank you for listening. To find out more about the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association, please visit avca-africa.org.